Jen Bosworth Ramirez. And I'm Gina Polici. We went to theater school together. We survived it, but we didn't quite understand it. 20 years later, we're digging deep, talking to our guests about their experiences and trying to make sense of it all. We survived theater school, and you will too. Are we famous yet? So I think the main thing I just want to say is like, uh, I took drugs, um, but we call it the medicine, right? Everyone's like in the med. So I did, um, and I won't, it, it's still illegal because it's still in third cl- clinical trials. Um, but I took MDMA with a, a trained MDMA guide who's also a therapist whose name I shall not say so that she doesn't go to jail for some weird reasons. And uh, I'm going to tell you, and you probably already know this from your, from, I know you have some like knowledge about psychotro- uh, about uh, psychedelics in terms of medical use and stuff like that. Um, not that you've done them, but you know what I mean? I know yeah. you, whatever. The point is, I think it's going to change psychiatry. Like it's going to change. hundred percent. Yeah. I had, okay. First of all, I was scared shitless. So MDMA is the pure form for people that don't know of, of ecstasy or Molly, but it's, it's, you know, pharmaceutical grade and it's whatever. It's very, you know, whatever. It's a, it's a legit medicine. Um, but I was scared. I was like, I'm going to die. I'm going to take this. This is where for someone that has anxiety more than I have depression, I think now anyway, in my life, the fear was I'm. I'm doing something illegal. This is wrong. And I'm going to suffer for it. Also, like that was the uh, moralistic fear. And then the actual fear of what the fuck is going to happen. So for people, you know, just so people know, like you're in, this person rented a house, an Airbnb and had a beautiful, I was, it was just me and her and a beautiful, like, amazing bed that was that she brings in that's like a foam a memory foam it's not a shitty thing it's like really great and I even thought that before I was on drugs right like I was like this is a really good setup the house was a neutral house meaning she picked a great thing which was there wasn't the the family or the people's art on the walls it was like pictures of surfing and stuff and like water but like not a lot of people there were no mirrors like I was like is this made for this and she's like no I just found this there was no no um the house was clean so it felt really good right but not sterile so that was great and she had flowers there and stuff and there was like a table set up so then you go in you bring objects and and pictures if you want and um, there's two kinds of MDMA-assisted therapy, right? There's talk therapy you could do with two therapists. I did not, um, this this um, practitioner does not do that kind. Um, she's a firm believer in, like, letting the client lead their own experience. And at first I was like, oh, I hate that. I want you to take care of me. Like, I was like, I want all the therapists in the room, right? It was like a real, and then I said, you know, no, I'm going to, I'm an adult. Like I could, it's okay. And also when you have two therapists in the room, um, they, they, they use the music less. So what I will say is the music was, I would say 90% of what was amazing about this. Really? I don't even like music, really. Like, I'm not a music person, but you li- you literally have your headphone, noise-canceling headphones with the with 
curated music from MDMA musicians. So people that have scientific have worked with psychiatrists and doctors to develop music specifically for psychedelic MDMA journeys. It's and it's timed with the medicine. So because they know, because they've done studies, they know the trajectory of the journey in terms of what you're going to be, what kind of thing is going to be maybe happening. So they time this music. So you put on these headphones and there's like blankets and I brought my own blanket and it's, you do like beforehand, you say a prayer and like, not a prayer, but like a, yeah, like, like a, like a meditation. Intention. Yeah. We said it. I, and believe me, this was not something I took lightly in terms of, I for weeks have been committed to doing it. So then there's a workbook beforehand. There's sessions with the therapist beforehand. So it is not a party. This is not, I, I, I cannot say this enough. It is a journey and not a party. So meaning that it's a whole thing. It's like a process. It's, it's therapy. It's, it's medical treatment is what it is. Okay. So you have this headphones on and also the music is playing in the room as well. The same music. So that even if you take your headphones off, you hear it. And, okay. And you have total blackout shades on, on your eyes. So a, a mask that is comfortable and soft, but really dark. And I was like, oh my God, I'm going to die. Like, this is, this is it. This is how I die. And then I was like, you know what? You have so much, you, like you, you've done so much research. You've watched the videos, you know, this is not going to, going to kill you, but you're scared. Okay. But I just took the pill. I was like, okay, here we go. So I took the pill and then you lay down and you're like, okay, it's not working. Like none of it. And, and by the way, I've never taken ecstasy in my life. I've taken fruit and I've taken acid and obviously marijuana. I I've smoked and stuff and edibles, but never this. So I was like, nah, I don't, it's not working. And then the music. Okay. Well, all I can say is it, it becomes a party for your body. And the, the notes I will share with you in an email that she took, I said some of the funniest things that I've ever said. And also you're like still aware that you're you. So it's not the feeling because for someone like me who has trauma and panic, you, the big fear is that you'll disappear. I will disappear. I won't have an identity and no one will take care of me. And I will, I will totally decompensate to the point of death. Like that is really the thing. This drug, this medicine, you know, you're still you. Like if, if a, if a police officer, God forbid, came up and said, what's your name? And you could answer all those questions. It's just, it literally turns off the part of your brain that is super judgy. So I knew what was happening sort of, but then the music, I was like, okay, this is not working. And all of a sudden, Gina, the music becomes the most beautiful music you've ever heard in your life. Like you can't believe that humans made the music. Like I was like, this is, and I, I kept saying, this is like watching a movie with your body. So you're, yeah. So you're like, and, and then, okay. So you feel, I felt great. And like, you're underwater, you can breathe underwater and there's some visuals, but you're seeing nothing. I mean, there's no, there's black, but you're seeing it. So you are kind of hallucinating, but the thing, and the thing that happens is with MDMA is that the whole principle is that inside of us, that these MDMA psychiatrists and therapists believe that there is an inner healer drive to live 
person who knows better inside of all of us before the trauma happens, right? So that we access that part of ourselves during the MDMA journey. And you, and that's why they say, trust the medicine. And I'm like, that is, fuck you, trust the medicine. Like beforehand, I was like, but you, and don't get ahead of the medicine, all these things they say. And you're like, what? But you, you know what it means once you do it. You're like, you, it is the most, so you're feeling good. I felt like you just feel relaxed and but it gets you in that state. So then you can look at your trauma. So, okay. Like making everything just so conditions being perfect. Yeah. Uh And then you're like, Oh, this is a hard song. So it feels like, Oh, this is a hard song. And that's how I started to feel. This is going to be a hard song. And it, and I can only tell you that like, I worked through some it's, it is, it's like 12 therapy sessions in six hours in a, in a, in a, in a wonderful way in that I looked at some stuff, some crazy stuff, but it is not, we are not, um, when we're on MDMA, we're not attached to the trauma. So it's like Mm -hmm. watching a movie, but also you're feeling it. Like I could feel, um, fear, and panic come up. So it wasn't like I had a good time all the time, but I wasn't, you can go towards it without feeling like you're going to be annihilated. I didn't think I was ever going to be annihilated by my trauma in the, in the medicine. I felt like I had the resources and I knew there and I was curious about what the songs and the music and the drug was going to show me rather than petrified and I have to get the fuck out of here. And like, I don't care what I do. Did you, did you remember things that you hadn't remembered before? No, it was like, well, no, no, it was like different. It does it in a way that is like, not you. So the things I worked through, I can say, it was like a song. So, and the music is timed when you're at the peak of the medicine for this, it was like some crazy, like intense, you know, soundtrack to a scary, not a scary movie, like a, like a, like a war movie. Right. And you're like, Oh God. And at least that was my experience. But then what happened was I had a nine 11 situation where I was in the burning building. It's so crazy. It's nine 11 and I'm in a burning building on the 94, but I'm not panicked. I'm like, okay, this is what's happening. And I go to a, a man and a woman who are dressed in business clothes And they're sort of tattered. And we've all been through this horrible crash. And I say, you guys, we have to jump now. And they're like, fuck, no way. To a man and a woman, blonde lady. And I say, listen, I know you're really scared. We're going to jump together. We're together. And this is the last conscious choice we get to make as a group to do, to take to take our lives in our own hands. I'm going to ask you now to take my hands and we're going to jump. And they're like petrified. And I'm like, we can do it. And then, and and I'm here watching Jen, the observer is like, what is going to happen? But not like, I got to get the fuck out of here. I'm clawing at my skin. No, no, no. It more like we, I knew that we had to do this. And so I took their hand and we jumped and then we started flying. We flew away. So I like, helped them to, and it's really me helping me. Right. So like, I get that now, but like, and so I wasn't like petrified. So that was a huge moment. But the other moment was 
uh, none of the people I didn't want to come in came in. So like your inner healer knows, like I didn't want to see my parents and I didn't want to see my sister. And I didn't, I, I saw my dad in the, like a field and he was young and happy. Great. We like, that was great. But in the song, there was a, 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 like a Tibetan song. Nothing's in English, which is great. So like if there are words and lyrics, it's not in English, which is great. Unless you speak those languages, then you might know what they're saying. But I did not. And so there was a Tibetan like guy scream, like scream singing, like chanting. And in my head, I was like, oh, this is the reckoning song. This is where he makes other people atone for their sins against me. He's yelling at them all the bad things they did to me so I don't have to do it. Like stuff like that comes forward where you're like, holy fuck. So, and then the other thing was the name, and I will say this and I will not say the name, but the name of someone I think um, like sexually abused me as a child came forward and it just said the name of your perpetrator is, and then there was the name and it, it wasn't scary. And it was at the end of my journey and it was sort of like, this is just the name and it's a name I knew. And it's a name that I had questions about. And I was like, Oh, okay. And it was like, not, uh, dun, dun, dun. It was like, this is the name. Okay. Okay. And it, oh my God. I'm having so many feelings. Oh, so. good. Let, yeah. So, so that is my, so my takeaways are still, I have many sessions afterwards. Um, I'm going to meet with her tonight on zoom and we, it's an ongoing process. I don't know if I'd ever do it again. They say like, you just do a maximum of three, three sessions um, for any person at, unless you have like severe, severe trauma. And then sometimes they mix it with mushrooms and ketamine and they do all kinds of things for like combat veterans and stuff like that, or right, just right. people that are really stuck for years um, that are on like 40 meds and like, can't. So um, I will say that it's changing psychiatry. Like it, it, because you are self freaking guided. It is, I didn't make the experience about anyone but myself. And I was able to take ownership over like it was it, parts were scary. Parts were lovely. Parts were fun, but it was my experience. So like you don't, my, you're thing the, is, you're the protagonist in right. your story. And yeah. I didn't mm -hmm. make the therapist, the leader, or um, I, she was there as a witness. So what I'm saying about MGMA therapy is if you are committed to, it is what it's just like fucking having a dog or getting married or anything else. If you don't really have to or need to do it, I would say don't do it. But if you are someone who is in therapy, working on your shit, and you feel stuck or you feel like there is a trauma that you just refuse to touch in their talk therapy or whatever... MDMA is, is the thing, but you, but I really recommend, like I took a shit ton of supplements before a shit ton of supplements after HTP, all things you can get at whole foods because your body does need to. And I got a massage. You got to do it the right way. Like I, this is, I tell people it's not a party, but it's also, it's like a journey and it's also a huge self-care thing. It's like, it's all the, all, and they say the minute you commit to the medicine, like that you're going to go on a journey, the medicine starts working. So like stuff will come up before you, then you're on. So all this to say, what are your thoughts when you hear this? Well, I mean, I'm, that's what I would be scared of is 
um, learning something new about my past. Right. Right. I know. I know. It's so, but afterwards, how do you feel about that? I, I feel like, Gina, I first want to say, like, I, I totally get that. I was petrified and I, the worst in our life has already happened to us because we were children and we could not do anything about it. That is the worst part of the whole thing is that we were little and had no resources. That is the crime that was committed against us. Not that it, it was that we were resourceless. The thing about MDMA and how I feel, I never felt resourceless. I knew. You felt prepared. And in the journey, even while I was like, oh, this is going to be hard, but I never felt like I was in danger and I never felt like a child. So trauma robs you of your adulthood, right? So it, tells you you're still five and you're still in the situation and nobody's going to help you. You don't feel like that on MDMA. I don't know about, I feel like on other drugs you might, but MDMA is like really renowned for people feeling in somewhat in control. Like I could have, I, I didn't, I wouldn't want to drive a car, but if like I needed to, I could have been like, okay, let's get out of the house now. Um, but I hear you, but the, the, it is so evident in my journey that like, we, it really helps to grow you up. Hey, let me run this by you. Because almost everybody has trauma that they need to look at. And that leads us into what we definitely have to run by each other, which is the, the this thing that happened and at the Oscars. And talk about trauma and, you know, all I could see in that moment was two little boys. Me too. That's Me, all I saw. Gina, exactly. I thought, oh, they're so hurt so and scared. Hurt. So and, deeply hurt. And yeah. have no tools right now to, especially for Will Smith, it's like, he he short-circuited somehow and was his trauma was unable to stay under wraps and it came out in on a public stage and that's all i could see too because that's my framework that's my that's my paradigm yeah and and you know of course in the information age that we're in and the in the social media age the the the, the, the second something like that happens, all anybody can think about is like, what are the hot takes going to be on Twitter, right? Okay. Well, there's a variety of takes, um, but they all seem to be mostly focused on who was wrong uh. or what was wrong, you know, which to me is like not the point, you know, like it's who's hurt, who's hurt. Yeah. Yeah. And what are they going to do about their hurt? You know, well, I said, yeah, I said, these people, all of them involved need help and support. Absolutely. They, they need help. They don't need shunning. No. They don't need, you know, I mean, and, and, and I don't really hear too many people talking about Chris Rock, but I mean, I hope his people are checking on him because he, he needs help too. On, 
television. And I just, I know that that has happened to him before, right? I just felt like this is such a redo of his childhood. I don't yeah, know yeah. that, but it must be. And he said, you know, he's talked about everybody hates Chris. That was just, you know, he's talked about getting him, getting in trouble with his mouth before, but I don't know, man. It was just so raw. And I kind of think they just, I guess they had to air it, but and it's sort of live or whatever, but I don't know. I just, I wish there had been, some, I wish the grownups had come in. Well, what we need all, I was telling my therapist yesterday, we need referees to yeah. say, wait, time out, time, like psychological referees. They're like, this is actually going into a territory that's not okay. So like, let's stop and regroup, but nobody, you know, it's capitalism and money and nobody cares about psychology. Yeah, everybody's like, oh, good ratings. You know, this is good. Or like, great fuck them. They're rich. So who cares about them or fuck them? I they're... hate that. I, that argument just really is no. it's just so tired. Like, oh, if you have money, then you're not allowed to have any other problem right. in your life. Well, the yeah. other thing I think is like, if we, if we live in a capitalist world, which we do and basically the rich people run things i want my rich people to be healthy <laughs> amen amen like, to that yes yes why, why? And, they, and talk about tools and resources i mean they they that's that's the one thing i will say if you have those resources you have a responsibility to make use of them in a way that contributes not detracts from the world and yourself and the people that you love and who love you you know yeah so it, it was sad. And, but at the same time, um, I was happy there was theater back in the Oscars. I was happy about all of the firsts, you yes. know, that, that happened. I was, I, it, it looked to me to be a, the most inclusive award show I've ever seen in terms of what they talked about and who, in the symbolism. And I really, I really get into the symbolism, you know, when people wear certain things and do certain things and this, rep, you know, I'm sure if we could talk to the set designer, we would, we would learn a lot about what the symbolism was of the set. Or the, I, I, I thought that was interesting. I was wondering where they were sitting around these tables. Cause it's not like the golden gloves are not eating meals. And then when, when these dancers got on, I thought, Oh, this is for this. And, and it just felt like theater. And I just thought, yeah, okay, good. We need this. Anyway, we need, we need to get back to like something more pure about why we all went into this. And because visceral. Had, yes. And visceral. Because the other thing that occurred to me is like, wow, I never thought about this before, but it must be so tense to be at the Oscars. Like horrible. You're either tense about what you're wearing tense about whether or not you're going to win, tense about what speech you're going to make, tense about what I noticed people, I feel like I could read on people's body language when they were dissatisfied with where their seat was, you know? Yeah. I, I just felt like everybody was, everybody tense. comes to that night with who are you going to tell me I am? Oh, right. That's right. And am I, is that going to be acceptable to me? Right. And it's a very narrow definition of what's yes. acceptable. And right? well, yeah, it's like, yeah, it's teeny. It's impossible. It's impossible. So I think you got to go like, I, I now know why like Frances McDormand goes and she's like completely stoned or like, or like just crazed people do because it's too much pressure. That's the other thing I'm real. I saw was with the, with the Will Smith thing was that the amount of, like you said, um, tenseness, you know, the amount of pressure, they, everyone looks like they're ready to pop. They're so 
anxious and stressed out and understandably it's it so i i know now why people don't go to those things like yes. i always thought it would be so fun but now that i'm looking at it i'm like that seems like a lot of work and also real tense real real tense um but that doesn't take away from the beautiful you know i heard some beautiful speeches yeah. and and overall i think overall i i hope everything that happened at the Oscars is indicative of like things moving in a better and better direction. But we just, we're also very far away from a lot of things, a whole lot of things. And and then there's this, you know, and we don't really have time to talk about it this time. We can talk about it next time maybe, but like this whole thing of like, okay, so a lot of, you know, like who gets to um, have a take on what went down yeah. so like people right. are are saying you know i've seen members of the the black community saying you know like no white people should talk about this and mm -hmm. and frankly i i didn't feel the need to to talk about it as a half white half latina or as a human uh i also my i thought i thought oh my framework is i come from a place of like we're all traumatized so like that's what i and i'm trained in that and that's what i can chime in about if somebody asks my goddamn opinion like mm -hmm. you and i ask each mm -hmm. other's opinion but nobody's asking my goddamn opinion so i don't right. keep my mouth shut if you want to ask me what i think then we talk about it on our podcast you know what i mean yeah but like yeah. i don't need a platform twitter to talk about will smith and chris rock they Plenty of people are doing that. It's Plenty covered. of people. It's covered. And, it's, covered. Yeah, it's covered. It's well covered. Yeah. Oh, I just have a very quick update about my fascination with those TikToks with the, the women. Yeah. And their, yeah, yeah. The getting ready I, and the coming home. I found out they're all infomercials. Oh my God. <laughs> For the products in there? For yeah. all the products? Yeah. So it's actually nothing about their, they don't really I, do that. I mean, who knows? How did you find that out? Because my kids told me. <laughs> they were like, I mean, and they weren't, they weren't saying, mom, you know, that's just an infomercial. They were like, yeah, you can get all those products. If you just click on the thing, you can see. And I was like, oh, so the whole thing is a commercial. And they were like, yeah, what did you think it was? You're that, it was a, <laughs> a, a day in the life of a lovely lady with very many gadgets I mean, and outfits. It, it was just one of those moments like, Oh, oh, I'm, I'm an idiot. so dumb. Right, right. I, I have those all the time. I have those all where I'm like, oh, I'm truly an idiot. I'm truly so dumb. I I deserve I deserve to waste my money on these products. Yeah, yeah. and they deserve well, to get my money. Yes. Yeah, well, it completely worked. I did in the end only buy one thing. Oh, you actually did buy. What did you buy? I bought a Slippers? um a egg cooker. You can you can hard boil eggs in the microwave. Well, that's pretty. No, yeah, that's, it was they, good. They sell it was that like ten dollars. Yeah. Okay. <laughs>we are talking to Catherine Scarborough. Catherine is an award-winning New York City-based actress and writer. She got her MFA in acting from the New School for Drama, and she's also trained with the Moscow Art Theater and the People's Improv Theater. She has a lot of interesting stories, and she has a fantastic web series called Big Girl, which you can find on her website, catherinescarborough.com. So please enjoy our conversation with Catherine Scarborough.
good here. <laughs> Great. Yeah, yeah, okay. perfect. Okay. Perfect. So congratulations, Catherine, Catherine Scarborough. You survived theater school and you are our first um, new school alum. So I, I'm really intrigued by the way, by your intro here. You said it's going to be an interesting conversation. Does that mean you had a mixed bag of a time? Um, well, first of all, thank you. Um, I, yes, it was definitely a mixed bag. Um, it's an interesting program. Um, yeah, I mean, I, the training, my professors were really great. I had a lot, I really am happy with my artistic training. It was the business side of things that I, we went out into the world completely unprepared. Okay. When did you graduate? Uh, you look so young. 2013. Thank you. I am not. Well, that is, <laughs> yeah, but, but 2013 is recent. So we graduated in freaking long long time ago so so like like yeah 90s so um so at 2013 the new school didn't really prepare you business-wise and i mean when did these people get when are we gonna get prepared yeah i don't understand i don't think these schools do it to be honest with you i think that if it's a name if it's a school that you can walk into an audition room and they're like oh you're yaley you're nyu it's a different story but like to give you an idea, um, and I got my MFA. It was not a BFA program. It was an MFA program. Um, when we were getting ready or we had done our showcase maybe, and then we were doing, you know, reaching out to agents and managers, the spreadsheet that we were given, some of the people on it were dead. <laughs> That's the best thing I've ever heard in my life. Yeah. Or in jail, dead or in jail, dead. I mean, one of my classmates came back. Oh my like, god! I emailed these people, and they were like, "I'm sorry, this person has passed away." I'm like, okay. You know what? You know what? Oh, it that's was great. Yeah, you that's know awesome. what? I really, I really applaud that person's tenacity. They were like trying to get repped by a ghost. Mm-hmm. Like I, they will, they're like, "I'll take anyone. Give me the ghost." Even the ghost ghosted me. Yeah. <laughs> okay so so you weren't prepared but what about the straight training side of it like yeah you, presumably you went there saying i'm gonna be a famous actress give me all i need to know did they fit the bill in that way uh yes and no i mean it was you know again once again a mixed bag i had some fantastic professors i i was lucky enough to study with ron liebman who wait say more uh ron originated the role of um roy Cohn in angels in america on broadway he was rachel green's dad on friends he and studying with him was really a gift i mean and he you know i mean he had done what you want to do as an actor in his career he had a Tony, I can I curse? I I really yeah I oh yeah. yeah yeah yeah. You know he had a fucking Tony, um. So there was no. I think sometimes with acting teachers there is an ego part of it where they I don't know they want to mold you or they're frustrated and they haven't done what they want. But he had done everything that he wanted to do, and so really he was just in it because he cared about young actors, and he was tough but he wanted you to be the best artist you could possibly be. And so that was such a gift. But there were lots of professors that I really had a wonderful experience with there. Um, Casey Biggs was my 
um, classical technique, like Shakespeare professor. He's wonderful. He was, he's a Star Trek actor. If you don't know, the sci-fi world gets lots of Shakespearean actors because they have to take, makes sense. you know, they have to take this ridiculous material and make it tech and make it like (coughs) accessible. Right. Exactly. All right. Um, well, so for people that don't know, obviously the new school's in New York, correct? Yeah. And did you audition? How was that? Did yes, you... I auditioned. Right. So, um, it yes, it's in New York City. It used to be where the actor's studio was. And then there was this great... Bradley Cooper went to my grad school um, at the time that the actor's studio was still attached. And then there was this big schism. Actor's studio went to Pace. And then the new school had its own drama program um, run by Patty Lapone's brother, Bob Lapone. So he was the dean of the school. At, at, at your school. At my school, yeah. Bob, Bobby Lou. Um, and so, uh, yeah, so the audition process was I actually, they asked you to prepare a scene. So you had to find a scene partner and do a scene rather than just a monologue, which was cool. Um, so I had a friend of mine come with, and this is funny. I had a friend of mine come and do a scene with me. Um, I did a scene from a play that I hate, but that I felt like would make me appear marketable. I did a scene. Oh God. Yeah. I did a scene from fat pig, which. Oh no. uh, But Hey, I got into school with it. So you did. You know what? I always say about that play. Like I actually know Neil Labute Mm. and that guy's a dick. And yeah. so, I mean, I met him. I, yeah. I wouldn't say know him. Uh, what's I, his deal? What, what's not his problem? problem? So he directed, um, did he direct? He directed Wicker Man that my boss, Nick Cage, was in the second time. Oh. And, um, uh, and uh, he's got problems. He's a yeah. he's like a Mormon. Um, um, he's um, um, got problems with his own um, body size. Mm-hmm. I think as a as a plus size dude, um, he's real weird. He's real weird. But anyway, I always say about Fat Pig, it's like I am always rooting, obviously, for the actress that takes on that role, especially as a plus size lady. I'm like, yeah, you go yeah. and and. We need, thank God, I hope we're writing better plays than that. But yes. you know what? It's not the actress's deal that is doing it. No. So it's... good for you. So you did a scene from, from Fat Pig with your friend. Yes. And then he got asked to audition for the school himself. And he got in too. That um, is crazy. Yeah. I'm glad you both did because yeah. if you didn't and he did. I know. It would have been nuts. It would have been nuts. Right. So so we do the scene and then we find out what happens then is something called callback weekend. And I actually, I have to say, I think that the new school at that time, because the, the training has completely changed at the school now since I've graduated, but their audition process was the best that I ever experienced because, and by the way, I auditioned for graduate schools, like on three different occasions. And when I auditioned for the new school, it was like the last gasp. It was the only school I applied to that season. Like I was like, I'm done with this. I'm gonna apply. Wait a minute. To- they, no one, no one accepted you the first times. Yeah. Fuck yeah. them. Right. I'm mad at them. Me too. It was really awful. But what are you fucking kidding me? Okay. All right. Yeah. So they, you were like, fuck it. This is the last hurrah. Yeah. If I don't get in here. Okay. Yeah. So the only school that I applied to that season. So you do your scene, and then they have something called callback weekend, where it's a whole weekend. You go, and it's a surprise. You don't know what's going to happen. You go, and they have, because part of the the core of the training at the new school is having 
playwrights, directors, and actors create new work together. Creating your own work is a big part, or was at that time, a big part of the training program. And so you had to put together, we were put in groups, and we put together a short play in 24 hours. And that was our our callback. That I mean, that sounds really stressful, but also really fun. It was so Wait, fun. Did you write the play? The playwrights oh. did. So oh, the playwrights oh, so it was all developed. Yeah. Yeah. At some point too, I did have to do two monologues. And I cannot remember when that happened. I think I think you know what it was? Okay, it was callback weekend. I had to go and do my two monologues and do like a movement workshop. And then you found out, okay, you've made it. Now you're to the last round and you're doing a 24 hour play. Yeah. And so, yeah, it was really fun to be honest with you. It was good. Yeah, I bet it was. So what about for undergrad? Were you also doing theater in undergrad? I did, but I didn't get a BFA. I got a BA at um, UMass at the University of Massachusetts Amherst. Um, They actually have a a beautiful theater program there. I had a great experience um, with them. And what was the impetus to go to grad school? Um, I had always, I mean, since I was a small child, like four years old, I've wanted to be an actress. I always, and I'm a, and not, I'm not, I'm a theater nerd. Like I always wanted conservatory training. My family historically was not supportive of this. I really wanted to get a BFA and they didn't want me to do it. And so I ended up going to, you know, regular school, (laughs) regular school and just getting a BA, but studying theater. And so I had always wanted to have the experience of conservatory training. Um, After after I got my BA at UMass, then I did a um, like a training program with the Moscow Art Theater kind of connected because I had applied for ART, didn't get in. But then the Moscow Art Theater reached out to me and they were like, hey, we do this summer program and we also do a winter program in Moscow. So I did both of those things. Awesome. Can I tell you my ART story? Oh, yes, please. Dude, I was a fucking idiot. So (laughs) I I was at taking a leave of absence from the theater school at DePaul and I was at I was at Shakespeare and Company on the East Coast. Oh, yeah, yeah. I was working there. But anyway, I thought, oh, well, this is a great time to audition for Harvard. What? I don't, I don't know what I was thinking. Like, DePaul was fine. Like, Harvard, like, ART was actually going to be better. But anyway, I mean, it's all the same once you get there. But I, yeah. so I thought, let me just audition. Sure. Uh, I had, you're supposed to have two monologues. I had one monologue. Sure. <laughs> I was also, you know, young. And you young. didn't read the, no, you didn't read I didn't the paper. Do, no, I did not understand the assignment. So I show up at ART and I'm, do my monologue and it went really well even though it was probably a totally ridiculous monologue it was above my head and the 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 person the woman goes that's great Can, and then i just stopped right because i didn't have another monologue and i said and they said do you have anything else you could show me and i literally said no but i could tell you some jokes <laughs> see i think that was a great idea i think that was a great i that's mean maybe it didn't go over that well but I like it. I, I, and it was the truth. And I, and they, she looked at, it was, it was, I did not get in there. And uh, <laughs> I think they were all like, what? She was like, what? 
I it was she must have thought I was on drugs. I wasn't, but she probably thought this child is on drugs. Like that's the only answer. So anyway, I don't know. But also they closed, so yeah. they're no longer around. So you okay, so you so you did you went to Russia? I did. I went to Moscow and I studied like one of my teachers that I studied with, her father was Stanislavski's student. I mean, it was crazy. Oh, my oh, God. tell us everything about that program. It sounds interesting. Oh, yeah. And I mean, considering what's going on, it's so sad in the world. But I always will hold my experience with the Stanislavski Summer School and with its Mahat Moscow Art Theater very, very close. Because, you know, I think as actors and as acting students, we are delicate creatures. And our confidence in ourselves and in our instrument and in our own talent is very, very delicate at all times. You know what I mean? And it really, studying with them really um, made me fall in love with the theater and made built me up and made me feel like oh this is what I'm meant to do with my life and it just was um because again these you know the Russians they they don't give a shit they're all about the art and they care about you as a an artist and so did they not can I just say were they not were they inclusive about body sizes um See, this you is know, my problem. It's like, what can't anybody fucking not even in Moscow? They well, don't give a, I mean, they didn't, I mean, listen, over there, it's definitely. But what I will say is my experience in classes and stuff, they just expected me to do it. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, right. Like my my Grotowski and Meyerhold biomechanics yeah. teachers, they were like, OK, now you will do backbend. You know, and I would just would do it. And it was like, OK, Catherine, now you will. You know what I mean? <laughs> That's a great accent. Oh my God. Um, And so, and I, you know, I, we had this one teacher who actually recently passed away. He was the most wonderful man. His name was Misha. And Misha taught Michael Chekhov technique, which I had never studied before I studied with them. And he was a lunatic, but like in the best, most beautiful way, he would do this, this game with us called I love myself. Where, where he would have us run around the room like crazy seagull. And then <laughs> while we're running around the room like crazy seagulls, he is humming the theme to the Godfather. So he oh goes, this is fantastic. Yeah. This is like what I did in my day program in therapy. Yeah. Amazing. <laughs> yeah. So he's going, and then he'd clap his hands and go, number one. And you had to hug yourself. And he goes, I love myself. And then he'd clap again, and then you have to run around again, and he'd go ba 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 clap number two, and you'd hug someone, and he'd go, "I love my friends," and oh my god, the cutest, and like he, I don't know, it was it was a lovely experience, and I got to do Gogol. I was in a Gogol little play. I was in the Inspector General, and um, I just felt seen by these teachers, you know. randomly i don't know what the connection is but they're in my town which only has thirty thousand people in it um there's a michael Chekhov like festival oh i I don't know if he lived here or i i I, i'll have to look into it more connecticut oh is that right because my grad school um 
Michael Chekhov technique, Professor Ragnar Freidonk does a maybe what it's just the greatest name. I bet there's it's got to be connected. <laughs> Ragnar and Freidonk and uh, Chekhov are all connected in yeah, Ridgefield. Yeah, there. it might be. It might be there. It's somewhere up. I don't know. It might be. Okay. But anyway, interesting. Are you in New York City? I am. I am in New okay. York City. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay, so you didn't feel prepared once you graduated. So what did you do? Um, Well, one thing that the new school, like I said, that they did that was great was they taught us that we have to make our own work, which I think is true. I mean, I think, you know, and, um, you know, I'd just been through this experience where I had to plumb all this personal trauma to, you know, be in, in front of your friends to be an actor. I don't know. And there was a crisis in my family and I ended up using it (laughs) and applied for an artist residency with Mabu Mines. I don't know if you guys know Mabu Mines. Tina does. I don't. What is that? So Mabu Mines is a theater company uh, that's been in New York City since like the 60s, 70s. And they're very experimental, uh, run by... Um, who has since passed away, Ruth Malachek and Joanne Acolytis and Lee Brewer, who's also passed away. So they, they're really into kooky, like experimental, crazy theater. And so I got an artist residency with them right out of graduate school and for a year developed my own play. Is it something where you had to write a proposal about what you would be working on there and and you're so you wrote something that was informed by a, a yes. terrible thing that happened to you yeah okay and so yeah i wrote a do you proposal. mind saying anything about sure, what, sure, what, I can what tell the inspiration you. was because i okay. wrote a play so yeah so um i come from a very chaotic uh family there's just all kinds of craziness always my father who is much older. Um, he was a doctor for nearly like 50 years, maybe 50 years. And he had this huge practice in this like shitty podunk backass words town in Florida. And he's very eccentric. He doesn't make friends. <laughs> he's not politically savvy. Um, and was employing really ne'er-do-wells to run his office. And one of his nurses was writing um, counterfeit prescriptions. For, for opioids or yeah. something? Yeah, opioids. Yeah. Um, so the, um, the, what is it? The DEA shut down his office and conducted an investigation for over a year. While I'm in graduate school, this is going on. And then couldn't get him on running a pill mill because he wasn't, but got him on um, insurance fraud, which I will tell you actually something that I do have done in the past no longer, but for a survival job, I've worked as a medical secretary. Every doctor commits insurance fraud. Right. The system, the system is set up for that. What what are you talking about? So at the time, my 77, my, in fact, my was it my third year? Yeah. My third year of graduate school, my 77 year old father went to jail. Um, thank God he wasn't in there for very long, but we thought he might be, he was held on half a billion dollars bail. Like it was insane how they went after him. Um, and you know, it's funny because I've been rethinking the project that I did because I was so fresh out of it. I essentially, 
I took, because he started writing me letters from jail. And then I realized he had been writing me letters since I, for like 20 years, he's a letter writer. Um, he himself is kind of insane. Like he's, I love him, but he's, you know, um, and so anyway, I took all of that source material and I created uh, a play out of it. Um, wow. And, and, um, I mean, presented for the public, yes, right? Like yeah. people came to see it. Okay. Yeah. How was it received? Um, I think it went really well. I mean, it was my first, you know, I, again, being unprepared, you know, coming out of graduate school, I didn't know a lot about promoting your own work. You know, I didn't know to write a press release and I didn't know to, but I did it with Mabu Minds and then I workshopped it in a few other places. I did it at Dixon Place, which is another like incubator here in the city. And then I did it in residency at the Brick Theater in Williamsburg. Um, and that was, the last, yeah, that was the last showing that I did. Up. Was it a solo show? No, I had a huge, I unwisely had a huge cast. It was like nine oh, people, fuck. all of us. Yeah. Um, but it was like about, because I'm from the South originally, um, and it was about my family and like the stories you tell yourself about your family versus reality versus very, yeah, it was, it was a great experience doing that. So ha have you continued to create your own work? I know you have a show, your yeah. own show, Big Girl. Is it called Big Girl Show? It's called Big Girl. Yes. I, Big Girl. Okay. Yeah. I really do enjoy writing and writing for myself. I think that, um, yeah, my experience has been more fruitful in writing for myself than, you know, the little parts you can get or, you know, um, Yes. I want to let your, uh, I just want to give you permission to let yourself off the hook for the publicizing of your thing. Because, oh, thank you. <laughs> no, no. I, I need to tell you that I, um, when I did a solo show and it went to New York, I fucking paid a publicist $10,000 <gasps> and they didn't do anything. So, so, so I'm just saying they didn't write a press release either and you weren't out $10,000. So Wait. I'm actually saying you saved $10,000. So you did good. Um, okay. okay. So uh, Gina asked about like, yeah, so you have big girl is a, it's a, it's a show that is still, is it ongoing? Is it happening right this second? No, we, okay. so we did. Um, so the way big girl came around is that I started taking um, improv classes of all things. Um, I hate improv, but I'm glad that I studied it. Um, and I met my producers there at, in improv class. And I had written a play about body image and they came to see a reading of it. And then we decided to do, let's do something together. We decided to write this web series. Um, and so we, we worked on it from like 2018 through 2019 um, and it's five short episodes. It's, uh, stories based on my life, but heightened about dating and just living as a plus size woman in New York city. Every episode is a different genre. Um, so there's a clown episode, a black and white, um, clown episode. That's episode three, which is my favorite of the clowning is my favorite theatrical, uh, practice. I think actually, really? yeah, I'm working on a clown show right now, actually, but, um, clowning is my favorite. So what do you love about it? What do you love about clowning? Um, I think that clowning is, um, a way of celebrating, your vulnerability and your ridiculousness. You know, I think that whatever makes you feel vulnerable is actually your superpower as a performer. 
It's the thing that people can see that connects us all to our, you know, terror of the abyss, right? Um, and clowning is such a um, loving and gentle isn't the right word. It's it's a very freeing way to just celebrate whatever is silly or weird about yourself. And if you can laugh at yourself, it gives the audience permission to laugh at themselves, uh. you know? Um, and it's also just really fun. I, I have this beautiful clown professor, my clown professor, Jean Taylor. She teaches at the Barrow group and at new school. And, um, over the pandemic, she reached out to some of us and was like, would you all like to do some zoom clown sessions? And let me tell you that saved my mental health, my like twice a month clown meeting. It was oh, paint us a picture of a clown school on Zoom. It is, I mean, we would just get into nose and we would do eccentric dance. And, you know, um, she would just have, she has something called go to my spot, which is like, as your clown, you find your spot. It's a whole thing. And, you know, we just made it work. And it was, and we would create little like etudes as clowns that we would do for her. And it was, it's just, I just love it so much. It's just a, I don't know, it's like bomb for the soul. It makes you feel joy. Well, you know? this is what happens when people feel left out of whatever's happening mainstream wise is they go find a, like a little offshoot, you know, where, where so any aspect of being different is, is okay. Celebrated, whatever. I mean, in a way it's like, okay, well, I guess that works out too, even though we'd like to be able to be well, included in mainstream stuff. Right. As well. I feel like that's how all these theater companies that we adore and love were made. And then, you know, then it becomes something else that gets commercialized. But like, if you think about it, like a lot of, a lot of stuff in life, right. Comes from that. And like, I'm now writing feminist body horror. I, I never Ooh. thought I, well, that, I didn't even know that existed. It only happened because I just was like, okay, well maybe, maybe this, okay, fuck it. And then people are like, no, it's actually a genre. And I'm like, what? So like <laughs> clowning was like, we can do this thing together and tell these stories. And people were like, oh yeah, that's good. And so then, uh, then it becomes a thing, you know, for yeah. years and years and years. So, okay. So you, you, are you doing a clown? Sh are you developing a solo clown show? I have a co-clown okay, <laughs> and a director and we are putting together a clown burlesque show. <gasps> I love that. I love that. Sounds amazing. It's going to be, I'm really excited. Yeah. It's going to be, we're just at the beginnings, like applying to festivals and things like that. And we're just about to start real rehearsals. And so is yeah. it a scripted, like, how does that work in terms of like, what, how, what's your process like? for also i don't know why i keep pushing you to do solo work i keep asking if you everything you're doing I, I feel like i really need you to do a solo show apparently i should but... i should do a solo show i haven't before that's no, an interesting do point. what you yeah. want i just i'm, I'm yeah. like so it's a solo show so you're doing a solo... okay but anyway yeah. so your your clown burlesque show how do you yeah. write is it scripted tell me about that that is a very good question um we are oh. figuring that out okay. um i because clown involves a lot of, I don't want to call it improvisation, but impulse. It's like you have to let your, in order for it to be honest, right? The clown, clowns are, the, my teacher put it this way. They're like cretins. They're very, they're, they're, everything is very simple. 
and they're idiots, but experts at the same time. And you have to leave room for the unexpected. So our tactic right now is we're going to have a a loose, an outline, like beats that we want to hit, let's say, but then to leave room for our clowns to play and do what they want. I'm kind of curious about this thing you said about improv, because I also have the feeling that I hate improv, but only to say that I hate doing it. But actually, if I was good at it, I wouldn't hate it. Yeah. So what do you hate about it? I am also not good at it. I get too too in my I'm just not good at it. I get too in my head. I'm like, why are there so many rules? Why can't I ask questions? Why can't I just come up here and have fun? Why does there have to be a, what is a herald? Why do I have to go back to CD? I mean, do you guys think that like, (laughs) this is all just because a bunch of guys made up improv, right? Like what would it have been like if if it was a bunch of women who, who developed the art form? It it would be clowning and it would be, it would be something more beautiful. I mean, I just think the culture of improv is such garbage Yeah, and, um, I happen to love improv. I love, love, love it. But I love it because I'm scared because I do feel like you can do no wrong in improv, especially at like in improv auditions at for commercials and shit are my jam because there's no things to memorize and, and, and to be serious actors and not fuck anything up. But that does cross over into, yeah, if, if you're in a culture, an improv like school, the culture is there are a lot of rules and there are a lot. Of, it's a, it's a, and, and also to be fair, you know, to be or to be honest, there's a lot of drinking. There's a lot of drugging. And it's just not my scene. And it's also really like a 22 year old white dude's scene. I yeah, think it's, it's like a very, fr- very frat, frat like. But OK, so go ahead. Wait, where was I? Oh, no, it's me. I I was just saying, go ahead to either one of you. (laughs) Well, I I, I can't actually bring us back to what we were talking about before, but I can ask you, um, does New School do a showcase at the end? Can you tell us about it? Sure. So um, it was, we did our showcase at Playwrights Horizons. We worked on our scenes uh, for a semester. Um, and there were a lot of us in my class. So I got into graduate school like at a time when people, like right after the 08 recession. So tons of people were applying to graduate school and they let. 35 actors into our class. And so that was a big, obviously a big issue all through my graduate experience was what do we do with all of these kids? There were, I think, at least a good 10 people in my class who had no business, like they just shouldn't have. And there were people who graduated from the most expensive, the my school debt is so ridiculous, it's imaginary. There were people who graduated from my program who never stepped foot on a main stage. Wait, why is it so freaking expensive? What's happening? It, I, it's the new school. I don't know, but oh, it's, it's just the expensive. most, okay. yeah, it's the most expensive. They uh, never were. A, we've heard this before, by the way, at other schools. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Where yeah. the people never, there were people that graduated, maybe not an MFA, but like there are people that graduated that were never in a show. And I'm yeah. like, okay, okay. I would have, yeah, I, 
why weren't they in a show? They never got cast, or yeah, they they didn't get cast. They didn't even give them like a pity part. Like you're gonna be Cinderella's stepsister in the. I mean, they would be like in the chorus of something. That would have been me. That would have been me. I I I know it would have been me. Me too. Me too. But was it for agents? The showcase was for agents? Yeah, agents and managers. And I did two scenes from Bridesmaids because Bridesmaids had recently come out. So I did the airplane scene with the... And then I did her her monologue at the end about being in the CIA. I just love... And it probably wasn't wise of me to choose scenes from what... But I was like, fuck it. This is what I want to do. Um I worship Melissa McCarthy. I think that she's, I, if, if I ever met her, I would absolutely lose my mind. I just think she's. But so see, I think that was the perfect thing to do because, right? Because the, the, the thing that Boz and I are always talking about that we never got is that we were supposed to think of ourselves as, you know, to be crass, like a product. And yeah. what, you know, so what is our brand and what, you know, and we never did that, so, but that is what it's required. So why is it not good to have done the Melissa McCarthy? Role? I guess maybe. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I Maybe I felt like I should have shown more range. Oh, fucking. Mm-hmm. They're not looking for range. Let me tell yeah. you something. They're looking to look at you. <laughs> Seriously. And now being yeah. in LA, I can really tell you. It's yeah. looking at, oh, oh, she knows she 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 knows that we think she's going to be like the Melissa McCarthy character. Great. So let us just all get on the, the Melissa McCarthy bus with her and then we can sell her that way and maybe we'll all make a lot of money and be rich. Now, look, I'm not saying that's a good thing. I'm just saying yeah. it was smart in terms of a business move. Yeah. And, and please tell me you got an agent. Did you get an agent and manager? Uh, I, <laughs> I got one agent who freelanced with me for a minute and he sent me on two auditions in three years okay all right so not good not good and and that agent i mean i uh, what yeah he it just uh, i'm worried because why (laughs) okay let me tell you something let me tell you something this is not about him this yeah. is about your reaction. You don't have to obviously yeah. don't say the name, but this yeah. is about your experience of what it was right. like to be that age and work with is someone yeah. in the industry. So tell it from it that point me, of view. Okay. So from that point, yes, yeah. from that point of view, you know, number one, it, you know, I, I had one really solid audition. I didn't book it, but it was my first big audition in a big room and I went in and I was prepared and I killed it. And I remember, oh, it po- uh, oh, oh, wait. Okay. It's back. Oh, it's, you're fine. It's, okay. It po- like froze for a second. Oh, that's okay. Um, I went in and uh, it was Judy Henderson's office. She's a, a yeah. great casting director. Um, I killed it and I had them all laughing. And I remember I walked out and I heard the director say, oh, that was really good. Yes. I love so that. It was such a win right out of an acting program. You know, I didn't get a call back. I didn't book it, but it was such a great, you know, experience. But then after that, and I emailed my agent to say, Hey, this was so great. This is what the people said, sent thank you notes, all of that. But he like had this Facebook group for the members of the agency and he would have these mixers, (laughs) which, uh, and I, I went to one and it made me so uncomfortable because it was like him and then a bunch of like women. Yeah. 
You know what I mean? Yeah, it's gross. That's gross. That's gross. Look, I don't know who you are, Agent, so it's not a personal thing, but also that's gross. Yeah. It's weird. It's weird behavior. Of, and, like, also something that made me super uncomfortable would be that there would, on the Facebook group, he would put up these statuses like, um, you know, a word to the wise, never write an email to an agent like this, da 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 and don't show up to an audition doing blah, 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 blah. And I just, in my head, I'm like, why don't you go get me an audition instead of spending your time? And like, there is no roadmap for young actors. None of us know what the fuck we're doing. Well, let's demystify something right now for people who haven't gone through this yet. Why do some agents not get uh, auditions for their clients? Oh, I, I know. Yeah, so you I feel like I feel like I feel like from what my knowledge is of working in casting and then also working as a writer and an actor is that um, agents. OK, so like this is my understanding. All agents get the same breakdowns. Right. And a lot of times for better, or for worse, their thinking is I need to I can't possibly do everything on this breakdown. So who are the people I know that are going to, for whatever reason, are top of mind that are going to, that have a better, good chance of booking these things. And then they sort of gravitate towards that. And then a lot of people who aren't, don't look a certain way for whatever, get pushed to the side. And then um, I think we're also not as actors at our schools and in the world taught how to have a relationship with an agent that is on equal footing so that you stay top. This is what I teach my, my kids at, at the theater school, which is like how to build a relationship or get out of one when you feel like it's not on equal footing where you can't, you don't feel like you can call or email the agent and say, Hey, I'm feeling like I'm not going out. Is there something that we can do together because we're so scared of the agent, we never make those, but I am, I think that is what happens. And then the, the fear begets fear and then you just never hear from them again. And then they drop you or whatever. So it's a matter. It's, so that's what happens. And, and agents, a lot of times, um, like the rest of us are traumatized and hurt and, uh, scared and, and, um, it's easy to take that shit out on younger people. So it's not what I was thinking you were going to say, which is that if the agent is unknown, they literally cannot get their client. Okay. It's not that. I mean, I feel like they, I feel like certain agents have better relationships than others with casting, but everyone gets the same breakdowns. It's a, it's a, it's a common document. So anyone, if we, if you and I said now we're an agent, we would get those breakdowns and we could start submitting people. And if you send a, kick-ass letter that says hey Catherine is perfect for this look at her shots please see her they'll see her because they want the casting wants to meet new new fresh faces that are kick-ass like that's their jam so yeah it's a matter of top of mind and well since we're on the topic i don't know <laughs> um you, you mentioned this thing about getting a good relationship with your agent Ka well, so Catherine, do you have an agent now I am now I am looking for representation right now. All right. You're looking for representation. A lot of people who listen to this podcast are recent graduates from yep. theater school. I have my only experience with an agent is I'm help my son with his stuff. And so I'm, I have a relationship with his agent. I'm very scared of this person. And when he doesn't <laughs> like something we did, 
my, I just on my stomach. So like, what, I mean, you know, what, what do you do and how do you have a good relationship with an agent? Because it seems like they're all assholes. No, no, they, it does seem like that. They're not all assholes, but I feel like a lot of them are, are scary. So inherent and Gina, you, Gina talks about this and Catherine, I want to know your thoughts. So, so we talk about the idea that like inherent in this industry is a pair is a patriarchal and like a, a, a status right? Triangle, whatever, hierarchy. So that creates a dynamic where the people that have, are seemingly having the more power are, are, are a little bit mean, can be a little bit mean. So Catherine, how do you think, I guess my question for you would be like, what has been your experience with how to work with that? And what are you looking to do differently this time when you have an agent, I guess, for the youngsters listening? Um... So my experience with them being mean, whatever, I, or I just think that there is a, in my experience, there has been a feeling of being dismissed perhaps of, you know, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, I do a lot of in the past, I've done a lot of, there's this um, company here in the city called one-on-one, which if there's another one that's called like actors connection where you can go and it, it kind of sucks. It's pay to play and you pay to like a little fee to do a class with a casting director or an agent or, you know, an opportunity for like a 10, 15 minute meeting with an agent. And I have met some success with that, you know, in the past. Um, I don't necessarily, I feel a little morally repugnant about pay to play. You know, this is such a, I mean, <clears throat> the other thing, um, along with the hierarchy of this industry is that it's predatory. You know, it's very predatory on the hopes and dreams of, you know, young actors. And so um, I have had tons of experience going into auditions for things. And, you know, it's like, oh, you have to pay to do this. Or you have to do it. And it's like, okay, well, fuck you, bye. I'm not going to pay you to work. Um, <clears throat> but... Um, and then what was the second part of your question about, oh, what am I looking to do differently? I mean, I think the thing is, right, I'm a character actress. I'm a misfit, <clears throat> certainly, in the industry. And I need to find someone who really gets me, gets my work. You know, I want to find representation that um, isn't necessarily trying to, and this is perhaps an unrealistic dream, <laughs> but um I, I would like to find representation that, that gets my voice as an artist and doesn't necessarily want to pigeonhole me. You know, for example, I will never, I'm very into um, body justice and fat liberation. I'm not going to even say body positivity anymore because it's been co-opted by a skinny white women, but um, I will never make a weight loss commercial. That's not happening. And that might be a problem for a commercial agent who meets me. You know what I mean? Um, and so I, so yeah, I, I would like to find a team who, who gets me and really, you know, wants to, uh, wants to see me succeed in that, in that, in that way. This relates, Boz, to our conversation earlier, just about contracting versus expanding. And I think that my mindset for certain, and maybe other people too, is like, you know, it's like kind of like how I used to be with boyfriends. If just if if anybody likes me, I have to go with them. 
because there's not going to be anybody else that likes me, right? When in reality, it seems like the, the way to think about it is, oh, they need me because I know what I'm doing and I have this look and I've seen people who look like me and this kind of thing. And they'll be lucky to find me because I can solve a problem for them. That's not how I've ever thought about it. I've thought mm. about it like, I hope they pick me, but they probably won't. So if anybody shows me any attention, even if I have to pay for it, then that the buck yeah. stops there. I mean, I think that's so right on. And I will say that, and I, I, I was that way for, and I still am obviously that way, but I found a team. I love my team. Um, but it took me a very long time and it took me to 40, I don't know, 44 to do that or 43. Um, and it took me going in literally and saying, this is me. Here's my body of work. I look like this. I want, I came in, I went in with a list of things in a piece of paper and what I brought to the table and what I expected from a relationship. And I had to be prepared that they were going to say, no, thank you. Like, this is crazy. Fuck you. But and they didn't say that. Instead, they said, we, we support you. We've looked at your stuff. We believe in you and we want to work with you. And that That's was great. Awesome. And then I found my person at that place. And when she left, I followed her. So it really is about relationships, but it's like, it takes a long, let's talk to my therapist this. It takes a long time to do the work. Like it is not an overnight thing for most of us, especially those of us with bigger bodies or different or misfits, whatever you want to call it, however you want to say other. It takes a long time to find your people. Mm -hmm. it, it, I don't know anyone that is a, a, a sort of othered that finds their people immediately because that's why we're misfits. Like that's part of the deal is that we don't find our people. So uh, I don't know. I also want to hook you up with my, I'm like, I, my yeah. agent has an office in, in uh, New York. So I will, I will see about that. So. Oh um, my God. That's wonderful. Thank yeah, you. Yeah. I mean, I'm happy to help, but the, the true thing is like knowing what I think you said, which is like, we really, when I try, when we talk about branding, right, I try to impart to my students and to myself that like branding is actually not about what you look like. Mm -hmm. It is in the sense that we live in a fucked up society, but branding, what I mean is inside and out. Can you stand behind your own product? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Regardless of what those fuckers say. Yep. Can you, can you at the end of the day go, no, thank you. Like you say, no, thank you. I'm going to go in another direction. Are you willing to walk away? From you have to, it's a mindset change from I, I'm letting, I'm letting anybody abandon me to, I will never abandon myself, but I might abandon these other people. If you liked what you heard today, please give us a positive five-star review and subscribe and tell your friends. I Survived Theater School is an Undeniable Inc. production. Jen Bosworth Ramirez and Gina Polici are the co-hosts. This episode was produced, edited, and sound mixed by Gina Polici. For more information about this podcast or other goings-on of Undeniable Inc., please visit our website at undeniablewriters.com. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Thank you!